You can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We're wrapping up Colossians today, which seems to me at least like it flew by really, really quickly. Um, I don't know about you, but there are uh, certain types of information, um, maybe as well as the ways certain types of information are delivered that my brain just kind of checks out when I, uh, when I hear them. So one example would be um, on a flight um, when, uh, when they get up to give you the safety speech. Um, it's not that I'm not concerned about safety. Um, maybe I think we don't have much of a chance if something really goes wrong. I don't know. But, but my brain just kind of checks out, right? Like, I, like, yes, I know that my seat in the event of a water landing supposedly will float me. Um, I don't really know if I believe that. I know that, that if the oxygen mass drop, drop down, I'm supposed to put them on me first and then put them on my kid. I get the logic of that. We'll see what I do if that actually happens. Um, or, or perhaps when you're, uh, when you're online and you're, you're, uh, you're becoming a member of something online and, and they've got their disclaimer, right? And, and they've gotten to the point where they, just, they don't even make you open it. They just click, I accept. Um, so... Uh, my brain just shuts down during those things. It's not that any of those aren't necessarily important, but I, I wonder um, I wonder if that happens to us in certain places in Scripture. And, and I think that uh, one of those places can be when we see a list of names. And not just a genealogy, but, but a list of names, sometimes maybe names that we know, some we're not so familiar with. And I think we can... Uh, just kind of shut off and, and think, I don't really need to know this. But um, anything in Scripture, we need to ask ourselves, well, why did God put this here? Like God, God determined that in his word, he would put this verse or these verses here. Um, so w- when we come to this list today, uh, Paul's farewell, um, we need to ask ourselves, okay, Lord, why is this here? Will you help me to see why you put this here? Will you, will you open, open up my eyes? And, and I hope that uh, today we can see that the end of Colossians here, there's, uh, there's plenty of, of meat on the bones, so to speak. Like We, we don't have to even work all that hard. It, it is just right there. So let's, let's read this together. Uh, Tychicus will tell you, uh, this is verse 7, sorry, will tell you all about my activities He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, Aristarchus, I'm going to butcher these names, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, that's an easy one, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, uh, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read Uh, in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to uh, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Uh, so really what, what I'm doing today is I've, uh, I'm going to lay out some observations that, that we make uh, about this text. And, and there's more here that I want to get to, but I realize I, I can't. Um, so here's one just little tidbit that, that I just want to throw out there and let you uh, think about back at home. Uh, verse 8, we're told that the, the, the purpose of, of sending uh, Tychicus here is so that, that the Colossian church will know how Paul is doing, that, that they'll be encouraged, that their hearts will be lifted up. So Paul knows that these people are wondering about him. They're worried about him because he's in prison for sharing the gospel. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants their fears to be uh, relieved. He wants them to, I'm sure, be encouraged by the report of what God is doing through his imprisonment. So uh, what I want you to see here is that Paul is really concerned for brothers and sisters in Christ in a time when I would say his life is pretty hard. Right? He's sitting in jail, right? Not a modern jail. I don't know what his jail was like, but I guarantee ours are better. Um, he's sitting there. Now, when I have things uh, happen in life that are difficult, my tendency is to hunker down and take care of, of myself or, or my own, my family. But here's, here's Paul, and he's thinking about these other Christians. He, he's wanting them to, to grow in Christ, to mature. So do you have concern for others, right? especially Christians, even when life is, is hard? And, and I get it. Like Life circumstances hit hard, and, and yes, immediately you've got to triage. You've got to take care of some things. But, but when you can, it, are your eyes open to what's going on with the needs of others? Are you regularly burdened for other believers to the point of action, Right to, to where you're praying for them, like we'll see of Epaphras in, in verse 12. Uh, you're, you're contacting them. You're, you're looking for ways to, to, uh, to serve them, to love them, to, to help strengthen them and build them up. Maybe you're inviting them to get together and just talk about what's going on or having them over for a meal or, or, or something. So that's quick. Think about that at home. We'll move on. Truth statement for today. Uh, and this was uh, a particularly hard one for me. Um, so the, the church uh, needs to have, one, people sharing the load of ministry, people sharing the burden of ministry. Two, we need to be committed to one another. Three, we need to have a, a desire to see brothers and sisters in Christ mature in Christ, to, to grow up in Christ. And then lastly, four, we need to be ready to share in the sufferings of Christ. So sharing the load of ministry, we need to be committed to one another. We need to have a desire for others to, to continue to grow in Christ, to, to mature in Christ. And, and then lastly, for that we're ready to share in the suffering of Christ. What jumps off uh, the page, one of the things that jumps off the page to me as is, is, is I've been studying and, and, and just meditating through this passage is community. You see it all over the place, the, the connections in the Christian community, not just at this church in, in Colossae, but, but these other churches and Paul and the people that are with him if anyone was a candidate to not need other believers, it seems like the superhero, the Apostle Paul, would be that person, right? That he could just go rogue because he is so awesome and so gifted by God, and yet that's not, that's not the case with Paul, right? He sends this guy 
in verse 8. And he's able to send this guy to be his representative because he knows him well. He knows all that's happened recently to Paul. Um, and he, Paul knows that, that the Colossians need to hear this, that, that they need in their hearts. They need to hear and know what's going on. And God has made us with a need for each other. Right? Just, like, just like we need water, we need food, we need uh, all these things. One of our needs is we need each other. We will not have a vibrant life in Christ without being a part of the body of Christ. So uh, our Sunday gathering is, is crucial. This right here is crucial. I, I think Paul assumes in verse 16, I think he assumes that the churches are getting together and they're, they're doing this, right? He tells them, when you read this letter, right? So he's assuming they're going to be together. He says, pass on the letter to the Laodiceans so they can do the same thing. Get their letter from them so you can do that with, with that letter. So this is crucial. Um, but if if you come to church, whether it's Harvest or maybe you're here this weekend visiting from out of town, you've got a church back home. If you come to your church just during their, their main gathering time, whether it's Sunday or whenever it is, if that's your only time with the people of your church, you're missing out on belonging to a church. You're missing out on, on what God has for you. Right? It is so good that not only do we gather here, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's not crucial. This is crucial, what we do here. But, but it's also good, it's also necessary for us to get together in, in smaller groups, in smaller pods of people. And that happens uh, in a lot of different ways here. Right? We've got Bible studies. On Sunday nights, we've had the Revelation study. Wednesday, there's a Bible study going on for men. We have uh, some community groups that get together. Uh, Priscilla, last week, she talked about the, the mom's uh, the mom's play group, um, or the kids play, the moms talk, I'm sure they're not playing, um, but that group. On Mondays, we have uh, a bunch of people that get together, and they sew, and they quilt. Um, the last couple weekends, we've had people setting up, I don't know if you've seen it, but we've got this nice playground that's, that's getting really close to getting done. We've had a ton of hours put in. Um, I do want to give a shout out, Don, right here. Um, I'm going to say your age. I hope that's cool. Don's 82, and he was here all day yesterday. I'm talking 7.30 in the morning. Till at least, I don't know if it was four or five, there were other guys here, but you're just, you, you don't have as many years as Don, so I'm giving him a shout out. Um, uh, we have things like men's breakfast, the cookie exchange for, for the women. You're going to gather together um, in a few weeks here. We have prayer meetings, youth group, young adults. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. I know some of you guys like camp together or go on vacations together. Or some of us have been on mission trips together, but it is, it is good. It is crucial that not only do we have the whole gathering, but we get together in, in smaller groups as well with the purpose of glorifying God right, and growing in him. It's not just getting together because we really like each other and it's fun to hang out, but, but we want to do these things so that God can be glorified, so that we can mature in him. And, and we, we need it. We need people that know us. Like, I need people that know me, people that know things about me, know the things that I struggle with. I need people that, that know the things that, that give me joy and bring me life. God uses our relationships to grow us, to refine us, to build us up. We even look at, at Jesus, right? We, we know he had the 12, but even within the 12, he had that group of three, Peter, James, and John. Right, this, this inner circle of those three, and then goes out to the 12. And then there were, there were more disciples that weren't among the 12. And we have these con concentric rings of relationships because we need each other. 
So Paul here, um, I'm not saying that he gives us an exhaustive list of what we need for good Christian community, for, for the church to thrive, but he does give us some insight into different aspects of, of community. So the first one, Paul shares, uh, Paul shares ministry. He shares the burden of ministry, the workload of ministry. Christians are to share the load of ministry. It's not just um, a, a couple uh, really gifted, talented people that are ministry leads. We look at Paul, and, and again, if anyone could have gone rogue, it seems like it could have been Paul and just doing it on his own. But when we think about Paul, he's always working with others. Right? I think of, I think of um, Barnabas. I think of Silas. Think of Mark. We know that Luke was with him. Like he always has people that he's sharing ministry with. He's constantly raising up new leaders. Right? We maybe think of Timothy, a young man that, that Paul takes under his wing, this Epaphras that we've learned about in the book of Colossians. Well, the church is the same way. We, we share the weight, the work of ministry together. So I wonder how are you contributing? And, and I just I just spent a few minutes just brainstorming recently ways that I know people have been contributing. So uh, we hosted Catalyze, right, which was really, uh, it was a missions training that wasn't for us, right? It was for the body of Christ, but it wasn't specifically for, for our people. And yet a lot of you hosted people that weekend that were, that were uh, in from out of town. Uh, we had people that, that volunteered to do childcare like all day. I, I think someone took I don't know if it was eight-hour, 10-hour shift. It, it was crazy, but volunteered to do that for a long, long time. We had other people that they couldn't do those things, but what they could do is they could come and make coffee so that the people at the conference um, could, could, could stay awake and be energized. Uh, Family Promise is, is a, a ministry we're involved in. It's, it's helping uh, families out that, that are, are homeless. They've been struggling with homelessness. And so a couple weeks ago, we had um, our week where we're, we're helping out Bethel Community Church out, out in Washougal with that. We have people that, that help with open house ministries, another ministry to homeless people. If you go into our cafe, you'll see uh, like bookshelves and, and random housing stuff there. Well, we're getting ready so that we can supply a room for a family when they move into open house ministries, which is downtown Vancouver. Um, and that way, when they're, when they're ready to transition to an apartment or wherever they're going to live, they have all these things that are now theirs that kind of jumpstart them. Uh, we have Sunday school teachers. We have people that, that help make track happen. Uh, Young Life in Washougal, for the first time in years, like has traction. We have some people that are part of that. We have, we have people obviously helping out with Young Life in Camas. We have youth group. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. We, we, we've had people recently that, um, that have come and helped us, like, just organize some rooms at our church. Like, you know, at home, you got places where it's a junk drawer. For me, it's my garage where just everything kind of piles up and, and it's, it's not good. We've had people just come and, and help us organize some things here. Um, and, and that may not sound big, but it's freed other people up to do other ministry projects that are already working on. But man, when a lot of people contribute to ministry, uh, we can do more work. Right? We, we, can, we can do more in, 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 in spreading the gospel and making disciples. Um, even our leadership at, at our church, um, we believe that the biblical model for, for a church to, uh, to be led is, is shared leadership. So we have an elder team that, that, that governs our church. I'm the lead pastor, but I, I'm, not, I'm not the guy doing everything, right? I'm paid, so I'm here more often than our volunteer guys, obviously, and, and, and I'm doing 
more things, but, but we share the burden of ministry together. We share the shepherding together. I don't just do this by myself. Obviously, we have a church staff as well, and we have a lot of people that work really, really hard. So Paul, we see Paul, he shares the, the work of ministry. One other thing about Paul that is uh, incredible, if you read through this, he shares the spotlight too. It's easy in ministry to, um, to make it more about you than you even realize. And, and, and we, we, get, um, we get some of our self-worth in our ministry even. Uh, Paul shares that spotlight. I, I just want to run through a list here. So uh, Tychicus, verse 8, calls him a beloved brother. He says he's a faithful minister, fellow servant, which that word means co-slave. Like he's, he's a co-slave to Jesus. Um, verse 9, Onesimus, we find out in Philemon who this guy is. He's a runaway slave meets Christ. Paul meets him. He's sending him back. So he says this about Onesimus. He says he's faithful. He says he's a beloved brother. He tells him he is one of you. Mark and, and Jesus, who goes by justice for obvious reasons, um, they're the only men of the, the, the circumcision party or the Jews that, 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 that have remained with Paul. They're fellow workers. He says they are a comfort to me. Epaphras, he just goes off about him. He says he's one of you. He's a servant of Christ. He's always struggling on your behalf in prayer, which I'll get to in a few moments. It says he's worked hard for you and for Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, he calls Luke the beloved physician, which I've never walked into my doctor's office and, and called my doctor the beloved physician, but I bet doctors like that verse. Uh, Nympha uh, gives a shout out to Nympha and, and says, oh man, she's doing great. She's hosting her church in her home. I don't know why. I don't know where why, why they had to meet in her home, but, but he, he calls her out. Archippus, he says, he says, tell him this, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received. Like he sees this guy, he believes it's the Lord that has called him. He says, do it, do it, do what the Lord has called you to do. And, and just imagine these words coming from the Apostle Paul. Like he, someone can give you a compliment that, that maybe is, is a peer, right, and it means something. But then there, there are certain people who their words just mean more. Maybe you just have more respect for them, or they just seem like they're at another level. Can you imagine Paul saying this about you? And, and this is in the Bible, right? This is the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, Paul is so ready to share the spotlight and to encourage. So are you quick to encourage? Are you, are you looking for opportunities to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, do you take time to say, hey, you know, I just noticed this about you. I noticed that, that God is doing this in you or, or that God often uses you in this way and it's so encouraging to me or it's so challenging to me or, or whatever it is. Or, or, or we can encourage even just through a text, right, or, or an email. Or we could go old school and actually send something in the mail, which is always, is always fun when you get mail that's not a bill. Um, I heard this years ago. Uh, uh, someone asked the question, are your, words, are your words a fountain or are your words a drain? And that just nailed me. Uh, what a great way to think through the words that I speak. Do they, do they give life or do they just suck the life like right out of the room, right out of people, right out of relationships? Let's, let's be an encouragement to one another as we share the burden, the work of ministry together. 
Next is we, we need to be committed to one another. And you, you notice how many people are with Paul, serving with him, serving him, praying with him, bringing him what he needs, helping him write his letter. He is surrounded by believers. And of course, this Colossian church is incredibly concerned for Paul, like I already said. So Paul, he sends his guy. He sends his guy to be his representative. We see that Paul doesn't just have a heart for this church. He's got a heart for the church at Laodicea. Hierapolis, he, he gives the shout out to Nympha, like I said. Um, he, he's committed. He's invested in these other believers. Are you committed to other Christians? Are you committed to them knowing and growing in Christ? I wonder if one of the reasons that it's easier for people to leave churches is because they're not all that committed to many people in their church or, or even their church. And all of us ended up here, so we all left a church somewhere probably at some point. I'm not saying there's not a good reason to leave a church, but when we are invested, when we are committed to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it does something to keep you together, to keep you um, moving together with Christ. And we absolutely need people that will cheer us on in Christ. We need people that, that will, will challenge us. We need people that will look into our lives and say, man, brother, sister, I think, I think something's off here. I think, this, I think this is sin, and I'd encourage you, you gotta turn from this. We need people that know us and are willing to have hard, hard conversations with us, conversations that are uncomfortable, which, which leads to the next one. Uh, we need to be a people that desire to see our brothers and sisters in Christ mature. And I think this is most clearly laid out in verse 12, uh, Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So even in his acknowledgement here, I think Paul does a good job of bringing us back to one of the themes of Colossians, which is the, the fullness that we have in Christ. We, Paul tells us the, the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus and that we are therefore, we're full in him if we're in Christ. And, and here in, his, in Epaphras' prayer, he reminds us that this, this is the hope and this is what Epaphras is doing. He's, he's He's struggling on your behalf. He's praying that you will stand mature, that you'll understand the will of God, what God is doing in this world through Jesus to reconcile people to himself, to save them from sin. And I love the word struggle here that Paul uses. Like This isn't a flippant prayer. This isn't, oh, they, they came to mind, so I'm going to pray. But he's struggling on their behalf. Um, yesterday at Camus High School, there was a, a wrestling jamboree for kindergartners through fifth graders. I've never been to one before. Really adorable. I mean, these little kindergartners like trying to pin each other was so cute. But so all these all these boys and girls were there. They'd practiced. Uh, they'd practiced, I think, for like two weeks, learning skills. Uh, their coaches were making them do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, so uh, yesterday was the culmination of that. They each got to wrestle three matches, and there's parents all over the place, and everyone's got a phone up taping their kid. But wrestling is, is, is a, it's an interesting sport. You, um, while you have teammates, there's nobody on the mat to help you. It is just you. So it's, it's mano a mano. 
going for it. And there is a struggle. There is a battle. So I'm watching my little first grader out there and he, he's good at like taking his person down. That part isn't a struggle for him. He does that. The, the tough part obviously is depend them, right? So he's like, he's, he's using every muscle in his arms. He's pushing with his feet. And then I looked at his face and he's just jamming his face like into that other little dude, pushing as hard as he can. Like his eyebrows are trying to will this guy into the mat to pin him. And, and I think, uh, I think it's, this, is what, this is what Epaphras is doing, right? He's struggling with everything he has, praying for, for these believers that they will mature, that they will get what God is doing in the world, that they'll get on board, that they'll be a part of this mission that God has in reconciling people to himself through Jesus. So do you find yourself just regularly going before the Lord, struggling on behalf of brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you, are you often burdened? Like just this last week, I was thinking through, because this passage, uh, prayers that I would say have just been a burden on my heart. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there was a surgery that I was praying for uh, this week, and, and there was all this stuff that had to happen in their body before the surgery could even happen. Uh, I was praying for uh, uh, a friend who uh, lost a family member tragically, really quickly. Um, there's a, a, another uh, close friend diagnosis. It's just brutal. Um, and, and so my mind this week, it's like when my mind wandered, it would just go to these things. I was praying on, on behalf of, of, of brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and not just praying that, that God would, would help make these things better, but that God would strengthen them, that they would know who God is, that, that God would use all of this. So are we doing that? Are we burdened for one another? And then the flip side of that, it is do you let people know the burdens that you have? Because right? it doesn't work. Nobody can be burdened for you unless they know what's going on. Right? So I love, I love struggling on behalf of someone else. What I'm not as good at is telling people what's going on in my life, the hard, hard things. Right? And sometimes I think it's pride. Sometimes I think it's that I don't want to be a burden, but that's ridiculous. Right? That'd be like my left leg saying to my right leg, like, hey, don't worry about it today. I got this. Like, that's not how it works. And yet the body of Christ, like sometimes we try and function that way. So uh, are, are, we, are we struggling on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Verse 18 Paul closes the letter like this. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So Paul picks up the pen, right, from the scribe. And he's like, no, I'm going I'm to finish this out. And he, he writes these last words, signs it off. He's telling him, hey, this wasn't my ghostwriter. Like, I, I, I with the Lord, struggled in, in, in composing this letter for you, and now I'm signing off. And he, he gives them two phrases, two final phrases. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Right? Remember my chains is not a call for sympathy. Paul's not saying, hey, feel really bad for me because I'm in prison. He's, it's a call, it's a reminder to us that, that we share in the sufferings of fellow Christians 
Remember my chains is, is a reminder that, uh, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, that, that when one member of the body hurts, every member hurts, right? So if I, if I whack my ring finger with, with a hammer, not only does my finger hurt, but my whole body recoils in pain. Right, We are all impacted. We are all affected. When he says, remember my chains, I think it's a great reminder of, uh, to be obedient to the gospel. Paul believes that the gospel is, is so worth it that he's willing to be imprisoned for sharing it all over the place. We remember the cost of the gospel. The cost of the gospel is our life. Jesus gave his life for us. He asked that we give him our life in return, and Paul says it's worth it. And I think Paul's saying here that he's, he's not a prisoner of Caesar. He's not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ. Are you a prisoner of Christ? Right? Has, has Jesus so captured your heart that you cannot escape, that you do not want to escape? I think one really practical way that we remember uh, Paul's chains is, is to remember the chains of brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe right now, that, that we share in suffering by remembering them. Um, I found a statistic. It's estimated that since Jesus laid down his life that 43 million Christians have been martyred. 43 million. Now, I was trying to wrap my brain around that. New York right now has a population a little over 8 million. It's like five times the amount of people living in New York have been murdered for Christ. Uh, from November 1st, 2017 through October 31st, 2018, um, over 245 million Christians were living in places where they experienced high levels of persecution. In that same time, one year period, uh, 4,305 Christians were killed for their faith that we know of. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked in that time. 3,150 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned during that time. Um, it's, it's absolutely incredible, like we, we talked about prayer last week, that here, sitting in Camus, the, the reality is that, that we can be a real help to brothers and sisters that are facing persecution all over the globe by praying for them. Uh, and I know that it's, it can be hard to remember to pray for people you see often, let alone people that you'll, you won't meet until you get to heaven. Um, but we're going to spend some time uh, right now praying for some brothers and sisters in Christ that are facing persecution. Um, I decided to have us pray for uh, India because we have several missionaries there. I think we have a slide of, uh, of our missionaries. So we'll, we'll spend some time. I've got some specific requests for India that I, I uh, took from Open Doors USA, which that's a great resource if you want to learn more about uh, persecution all over the globe. Open Doors USA. Uh, they also have an app that's helpful to remind you to pray. Uh, but here, here are our missionaries in India. Um, but let's bring up the, uh, the prayer requests uh, on the next slide there, Alex. So I hope you can see that. Um, and you're not limited to these things as we pray in a moment here, but, but I do want to highlight these. Uh, pray for Christians uh, that, that convert from Hinduism and Islam as they uh, face a ton of persecution, especially from uh, family and friends. Uh, pray with Christians in India for God's provision and protection as they preach the gospel in places with anti-conversion laws. Pray for Christian girls 
placed under house arrest by their families because of their faith. Pray uh, they would be encouraged in their faith and that their families would come to know the Lord. Uh, pray for the government of India that they would uh, open uh, themselves to religious liberty. Um, it's estimated that by 2060, um, uh, the Muslim population will be uh, the largest in the world. Um, so we need to pray for the many, uh, many Muslims in India that they will he- have an opportunity to, uh, to, res- to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. So here's what we're going to do with people just right next to you. I want you to spend, we're going to spend like three minutes praying. It won't, it won't be that long. Some of you will feel like forever. Others will hate that I didn't give you enough time. But we're going to spend just a few minutes praying. And you can pray these things. You can pray whatever's on your heart and mind for these people. But let's do that. All right. Amen. I hate to break that up, but I would, I would encourage you, uh, like I said, go to uh, Open Doors USA, I believe it's .org. Um, if you just type in Open Doors, you'll, you'll find it. Um, to learn more and, and to see uh, the world watch list, India, I believe, is 10th uh, on, on the watch list for uh, most persecuted uh, countries. Um, so the last thing Paul says is, his grace be with you. Um, this letter, really all of his letters, they, they just they drip with grace. Paul knows, uh, maybe better than anyone, the the grace that he has, the grace totally undeserved that he has in Christ. So I wonder, I ask you today, do you know the grace of Jesus personally? Maybe you've been coming to church for a little bit or maybe for a long time, but do you know the grace of Christ personally? Do you intimately know it? Like, Like Paul in his letters, does, does grace just overflow from you? Like I had that bucket weeks ago that was full to the brim and it, and it just spilt with water. Does, does the grace of God just overflow from you? It, it would be something if Christians were known for grace, for being recipients of grace and, and also dispensers of grace. I want to close it with one last thing I didn't know if I would have time for. Uh, when you look at this list of people um, with the exception of, of Demas, who in another book we find out that Demas walked away from the faith. But with the exception of him, and every one of these people are, are going hard after Jesus. The, the, description, uh, the descriptions of these people, their fellow workers, their co-slaves, their faithful, their co-laborers, Luke and Mark, right, <laughs> are sitting in, in jail with Paul. Like 50% of the gospel authors are sitting there. Imagine the conversations that they had around Jesus. So I, I wonder, like that's who Paul hung out with, with your group of people, whoever kind of your inner circle is, are you running hard together? after Jesus. There's a lot of Christians that that get together, spend a lot of time together. You you look at it and it looks probably like really good community and yet it is very little to do with Jesus. So with the people that are kind of your people, your inner circle, when you get together, is it ever about Jesus, right? Is, is, Is Jesus actually always at the center of it? Or if someone had a transcript of like your typical conversation, would they even know that you are a Christian? And if not, I'm not telling you to ditch those friends. I'm actually encouraging you, let's let God redeem those relationships. I think of uh, Colossians 3.16. Does does the word of Christ dwell richly in you, in your relationships? 
Right? Are you willing to ask questions that at first kind of seem awkward uh, about what God's doing in their lives, how God's challenging them, what God's stirring in them, what, what, they're, what they're learning about Christ through the scriptures? We, we want to be a church that doesn't just come together, but we, we want to be a church that is living for Christ that knows God through his word, and because we know God, that there's action, that there's life that actually happens in us and through us. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful, God, that I get to be a part of this group of believers. And um, one reason is uh, the people I know, they, they want to follow after you, Jesus. God, in the, in the places where where we're not living for you, would you reveal that to us? Would, would you help us to, to gently, respectfully um, help one another along in you, Jesus, to see the places where we're just nothing like you or we need to grow in you? Lord, I, I pray that we'd be a people that are, that are committed to one another, people that long to see each other grow in you, a people that, that share the work of ministry where, where everyone's contributing, Lord, and I know it's different amounts, but God, would we, would we all join in to, to, what, to what you're doing here, Lord, in this part of the world and all over the world? And Jesus, would we remember our brothers and sisters that, that do not have the freedom that we have? God, it's incredible that we get to meet in this place, and we have no fear of someone running in here and telling us we can't do this or threatening our lives, Lord. We, we thank you for the freedom we have, but we remember we recognize that so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ do not have that same freedom, Jesus. Lord, we love you, God. It is in your name we pray. Amen.